Hello, 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 bays. Welcome to A Little Juju Podcast, the woman is witchy insight pod diving deep into pl- black pop culture, Woo! the black healing journey and the ancestral spiritual systems that can help set us free. This is the hashtag black ass spirituality show and I'm your host, Juju Bay, a psychic, a hoodoo, an Orisha devotee. Um, you're Reikiana, but most importantly, a bad bitch witch. So how are y'all doing this week? I hope you're feeling fine. Thank you to everybody that has been giving me so much love and support for the new season. I'm glad y'all are liking it, loving it. Y'all are always giving feedback. People are like, okay, this season is popping, period. So shout out to y'all. I appreciate you so, so much. It really helps lift my spirits and it just really makes me feel good. Words of affirmation is my love language. So y'all been giving it to me. So thank you. I hope to give y'all the same good juju back. And of course, hoping that y'all are feeling good and well. And if you're not, it's okay. It's a lot going on from life. Just life be life in. And then also, maybe it's just your generational trauma. (laughs) So if you are a black person, you know, living in the U.S., there's definitely something that we are all trying to figure out how to navigate daily which is our own experiences and maybe experiences that aren't our experiences experiences of people that came before us and that leading to what we consider you know our generational experiences and trauma it also is called historical trauma according to american psychological association as well as generational intergenerational and historical and Um, It's defined as a phenomenon in which descendants of a person who has experienced a terrifying event show adverse emotional and behavioral reactions to the event that are similar to those of the person um, themselves. So it, it gets really deep. So when we think about, you know, trauma as something that is emotionally passed down, but I'm really curious about what it looks like genetically and not just trauma, but also like our resiliencies and how that's passed down for black folks. And you know, there are studies on great and grandchildren of Holocaust survivors that do suggest that trauma has actually gone in and can change our family's DNA. So sort of like stamping a particular kind of experience onto a bloodline. So when we think about what this could look like for descendants of chattel slavery, i.e. me, and you know, maybe you, probably you, if you're listening to this show as an African-American person or somebody of the diaspora, well, child, we got a lot going on. Okay. So that is why I wanted to talk with Dr. Janina Jeff today. She is a geneticist. We talk about more than trauma in this episode, we talk about resilience and DNA and rhythm. We talk about a lot of different things. And so I wanted to make sure that we brought a scientist on there because our, our traditions are based in, and rooted in science. So I wanted to talk about someone who is actively studying it and doing the Sankofa work of the genes. <laughs> so I hope you all enjoy this episode. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju, a little juju, a little juju. All righty. Thank you so much, Dr. Janina, for being here. I'm really excited to interview you today because I'm a big fan of In Those Jeans podcast. So shout out to you for that amazing, amazing work. We're definitely going to be able to talk about that. But just thank you for being on the show today. 
So thanks for having me. Of course, of course. I wore my I wore my Spellman shirt today. I peeped. I was like, you know, <laughs> I peeped Spellman sister. So thank you for wearing the Spellman shirt. I got my blue on too. <laughs> by happenstance. So I want to start off reading just a little piece of your bio. Um, so I want to introduce all of you all to Dr. Janina Jeff. She's an American geneticist, a senior scientist at Illumina, a leading developer of life science tools for large scale analysis of genetic variation and function. She is the host and executive producer of In Those Genes, which is a podcast that links genetics, African-American identity and black culture. She is a Spelman grad and she was the first African-American to graduate from Vanderbilt University with a PhD in human genetics. She is specifically interested in identifying genetic variants that explain disease disparities across the population. So Dr. J, welcome, welcome, welcome to A Little Juju Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I listen to this show. I've learned so much about myself and my own spirituality. And, you know, I I think the biggest takeaway that I've gotten from your show is to kind of be comfortable and not being like fixed within the confines of certain Mm. religious practices and spirituality and, and just being able to be free Mm. to pull from from different practices to create my own practice. So thank you for having me. Very honored to be here. Yes, Thank you. Thank you. So I know I just read your very healthy bio, (laughs) but I do like to ask my guests (laughs) when they come on, you know, how do you um, describe yourself in, in your terms? You know, how do you identify? Just tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, I identify as a geneticist. And I a play upon words with Genesis spelled C-I-S-T with uh, just S-I-S, you know, sis. Mm-hmm. And um, really as a person who has a double consciousness similar to what W.E.B. Du Bois defined, I have two lived Black experiences. One that, you know, really is Eurocentric focused and mm-hmm. kind of my formal training as a geneticist and understanding the power of the genome and what it can do. Um, but then the other side is the social side, you know, me being a, a Black woman and my lived experiences and how do I kind of connect these two worlds together because they should not be separate. They should be together and really unlearning some of the things that I've learned in formal genetics training um, that is not right, is not accurate, that is, Mm -hmm. you know, definitely has this social societal pressure um, and being able to disentangle what is real, what is not real, how should we use words, um, in genetics and how do, how do these words gatekeep, um, people from sciences as a whole. And so Mm. I consider myself a a geneticist in that regard. I'm also a big lover of hip hop and, uh, a big music nerd. So that's, that's how I would describe myself, uh, off off the off the record. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit on what a geneticist does? Uh, you know, in very simple terms for people who are listening like, okay, I still don't know what that is. <laughs> what does that yeah. mean? That's completely fine. Yeah. So, um I say genetics is one of the first sciences that I think we as humans became very quickly to identify with. And that mm-hmm. is because we started reproducing. And when we reproduced, we started to notice, you know, these 
very observable things. For example, the similarity between a newborn child and their parents, um, both behaviorally, but also just physical attributes. And then as we began to populate Earth, uh, we started to notice some differences in the way we look as humans became more mobile and more transient and started to encounter other human species mm-hmm. or um, encounter uh, other species in general and just kind of being coming conscious. So I feel like genetics has always been something. I also feel like even present day, genetics is the one science that is talked about at the kitchen table more than anything else. Mm. You talk to any one of your friends and family members and you have something going on with yourself, you always would probably say, oh, well, my mom had this and my sister had this. And that is genetics, right? That is genetics. And so a geneticist is studying those familial relationships, but also studying um, relationships between different groups of people and populations Most importantly, though, we're trying to understand how this guidebook to life that we call the genome, which I like to tell everyone is similar to a recipe book. It's a book that really describes who you are as an individual. And it only has four letters in the book. And the order of these four letters we call a sequence really tells us uh, what genes are. And genes help produce bodily functions. And so, Mm -hmm. for example, we have genes that say, hey, Juju, you are tired right now. We're going to set off this whole cascade of of systems to make your eyes close and to put Mm. you in this rest rest state, right? That's all started by gene expression, right? Um, And how that sequence of letters is turning genes on and off, which is epigenetics, and we'll talk about that. Um, But... You know, as a geneticist, I'm trying to understand how genes control these bodily functions, how genes also interact with the environment, right? You know, Mm -hmm. if we lived in the North Pole and we didn't get much sunlight in the winter, how would our genes change our circadian patterns, right? If, you know, we, uh, descendants of of African, West Africans now in America, not near, not living close to the equator, but still having the genes of a person who was living close to the equator. Mm. Why do that explains why we develop sickle cell disease, right? right. Mo, more, more, more likely than um, than other populations who don't live near the equator. And so, really trying to understand the relationship between genes and our and our bodily functions, genes how they interact with the environment, and genes how they interact with other genes, right? And mm-hmm. so. That's a long way of saying what a geneticist does. But you know what? A geneticist also, um, you know, geneticists can also have spiritual practice. And, and, and more specifically, me, I'm more so connected to my ancestors, I think, because I am a geneticist, you right. know? Um, so I, I am very much so a person that is connected to ancestral practice because, I really think of my genome as not just the genome of myself, but it's the genome of my ancestors. So they are literally within me, right? Mm -hmm. And I am spiritually um, connected to them. So thank you so, so much for that. And that's that's really what compelled me to reach out to you to have you on the show. One, because I love In Those Genes podcast. And it had me thinking a lot about science, Black folks' relationship to science, our genetics literally like literally being compilations of people who came before us, you know, not in a woo woo way, but in a very like realistic <laughs> way. We are made up of some people before mm-hmm. us and some of them are dead. Like A lot of them are dead. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and things have been passed down to us. So I really appreciate how you sort of bridge that and make it accessible to those of us who don't necessarily identify as scientists, but in how you break it down, I'm like, oh, well, maybe there is some science into, you know, this, these traditions. And I know that to be true. Um, so yeah, I, I just kind of, I really, really appreciate you doing that. Um, yeah, and I tell people all the time that like, mm-hmm. you know, black people, African descended people, the first, the first human, modern day human species had to be scientists. Because if they were not scientists, if they did not pay attention to the environment, oh, you eat that berry. okay, you may not be here, you know, in 20 years. Right. If we did Mm -hmm. not have scientific observation just on life, we would literally not be here today. And so, you know, I tell people all all the time we are all scientists and all we're you know, the the main Mm -hmm. goal is for us to continue humanity and learn from science and observations to live longer and to live more. So one of the reasons I wanted to chat today um, is because I think a lot about, like we're talking about ancestors and just like what people name intergenerational trauma, but also intergenerational healing a lot, you'll hear. And I'm curious of what that looks like from a scientific standpoint. Is there any research um, to your knowledge that could account for what people name as like intergenerational traumas or how, or, or, you know, gifts, you know, or or positive things that have been passed down that we can see um, through a scientific lens. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a million dollar question. And um, Mm. if I will, if I win the lottery, that is what I, that'll be part of my research program Mm. that I, (laughs) that I conduct research on. Um, So, there are a lot of different ways to think about this. The answer, the short answer to your question is yes, there are people doing research. And um, in fact, if you if you do have time, I would reach out to Brianna Jones Marlin. She is a professor at uh, Columbia University, black woman, and she is studying um, epigenetics and trauma in mice. And so I will tell you a lot of the research that has been that is being done right now are mostly in a in a different model organism and most of the time being mice. And what they are trying to understand is, you know, can a trauma response be passed down genetically? And so you have to ask yourself, okay, well, how does this happen? Me as a geneticist, when this conversation start first started popping up in epigenetics, and I was like, well, Epigenetics doesn't make a lot of sense to me from the, you know, from the original just idea of it, mostly because epigenetics basically means this is the part of our genome where we change gene expression. So we talked earlier about how our genes give us biological insights to, you know, functions and stuff like that. That mm-hmm. is controlled by the, the, this process of epigenetics turning on and turning off genes, right? And so it is very much so dependent on the environment, right? Um, Like I was using the example earlier, the light switch, you know, having sunlight or being in a dark area, how does that change your sleeping patterns, right? These are environmental changes that are turning on or turning off genes. Um, Mm. Another example is the production of melanin, right? Well, if I live close to the equator, I need genes, I I need gene expression, more gene expression of melanin so that I can withstand the UV rays coming in from the sun if I live close to the equator. Mm -hmm. But maybe if I don't live close to the equator, I don't need those 
I don't need that high production of melanin. It doesn't mean that I don't have genes that produce melanin. It just means that I'm turning the switch off to those genes that produce melanin Mm. because I don't need it. And so I think a big misconception, I hear people say all the time, I have the gene for this, you have the gene for that. We all have the same genes, right? That book that I was talking about literally is the same book for all modern day human species, but 0.1% of the book is different. And that makes you Juju, that makes me Janina, right? That that unique part of our book. Um, and so where we're thinking about trauma and we're thinking about epigenetics, I just told you epigenetics is the turning off and, and turning on of genes, right? This process and this is right. very much so connected to the environment. Um, because of that, a lot of time, what we call um, these signatures in our genes that are normally turned on or turned off are not always passed down because this is something that is in response to the environment. And so when people started saying it's inherited, mm. well, I was like, well, how could it be inherited? Because that would mean that it has to stay the same. So, right, if we're talking about inherited, let's go now to the egg and the sperm, that, that those egg cells would have to change and we, you know thanks to research that's done in gynecology, know that there are no genetic modifications to our eggs once we're born. We're born with all of our eggs Mm -hmm. and our eggs are our eggs. Um, However, the pathway in which people are are studying this is actually through the male lineage because sperm is not produced at birth. Sperm is produced, you know, continuously. So there is Mm -hmm. an opportunity to understand epigenetic signatures that are passed down through sperm um, from generation to generation. Now, could that be Mm -hmm. explaining what we call, um, what people call trauma and what we call joy? Um, That is something that people like Dr. Marlin uh, are studying and are studying this trauma response in mice. And so I'm just Mm -hmm. talking about genetics, right? We're just talking about the genes themselves and being able to right. pass down this signature of when to turn on and turn off genes in response to a trauma response or in response to resilience, right? I tell people all the time when we talk about mm-hmm. trauma, but if we look at suicide rates, um, suicide rates have been historically higher in European descent populations than they are in African descent populations. And so we do have to, when we have this conversation about trauma, also have to have this conversation about resilience which is a very touchy conversation, right? Because we don't understand it. So from a scientific perspective, you know, we talk about epigenetics. We have these studies that are happening in model organisms that are looking at the uh, passing down of epigenetic signatures through the paternal lineage. But then we also have, you know, trying to understand what do we define as trauma? What do we Mm. define as resilience, right? Is trauma defined as developing a mental health um, disorder? Is trauma defined by being clinically diagnosed as depression? Um, Now let's go back and think about the medical history of Black people. Um, I don't know about you, but I didn't learn about depression until I was much later on in life, Mm -hmm. um, let alone have the access. Right to go get clinically diagnosed for depression, then have the resources to treat it, right? Mm -hmm. Anxiety, all of these mental health things that we talk about, think about three or 400 years ago, our ancestors were dealing with this. 
There was no name for it. There was no measure of it. So how do we measure it, right? And, you know, one of the things that I hope we as Black people stop doing is saying, oh, well, it was so this hard for me, so I want to make it just as hard for you. That makes it worse because now (laughs) our measurement of trauma is not consistent. So when we're talking science, the first things first is we have to have something to measure. So what what is going to be the trauma response that we measure. Um, Mm. A lot of scientists who are doing this in model organisms will have like shock therapy or have some type of shock or sting and they will consider that that is a traumatic event for the the mouse. And let's look at the gene Mm -hmm. expression of that traumatic event. Um, We need to study this and have real-time data. Uh, There's no way that we're going to be able to to study gene expression levels of a person who just witnessed a lynch. Mm. We don't have access to that data right now, we don't know what that would look like. So in a present day, what would a, a trauma response look like? Um, and so I think that's the first question, understanding what does a trauma response look like? What does a resilience response look like? Um, mm-hmm. Does that mean that you've went through this traumatic event and you know the outcome was that you were depressed, the outcome that was, you, you know, you had suicidal attempts. And so is resilience not having that outcome? I don't mm. know the answer to that question because... I don't think that those are the only, you know, traumatic responses that we can say are are threatening, you know. Uh, for right. me, go, going into the workplace and being the only Black person is a traumatic response for me, right? Um, that mm-hmm. could trigger an anxiety attack. That could trigger a panic attack. Right. Um, but I don't even know if I could measure that because, uh, again, my ancestors and my family even in my, you know, even this is really my life when I was at Vanderbilt, the only Black person, you know, I was dealing with all this stuff. There was no support, but I also was pushing through it probably very unhealthy because I knew that I didn't have options. That was, this is what my parents and family had expected of me. And this is, you know, what I was going to do. I don't agree with that. I don't think that is right. But I guess the short end of what I'm trying to say is that we have to be able to measure what we consider trauma, what Mm. we consider resilience in order to be to be able to understand it. So there are a lot of researchers right. who are doing this in a very, you know, when we do research, we kind of go for the, the low-hanging fruit first. So, you know, given that shock to the mouse, we know that that's a traumatic ex- experience, experience. But now we have to translate that all the way to humans and say, you know, someone called me the N-word today. Is my ability to, res- what happens after this? Is this driven by genetics? Or is it not, you know? So I, I, I say all that to say that um, we have a very long way to go in understanding that question. So that's the mm-hmm. science part. Let me give you the cis part of it. So <laughs> the cis okay. part of me, the cis part of me thinks that it's very much so a real thing. Both resilience, okay. trauma, joy is very much so a real thing. Um, but, and I, and I should have included this in, in the genetics part too. A lot of this is controlled by our environment. So if we were to say that epigenetic, traumatic, post-traumatic slavery syndrome due to epigenetics is purely a genetic thing, then that would mean, um, Juju, for example, if your ancestors were slaves, Mm -hmm. that would mean if you were raised... Let's say, you know, let's say, let's say all of this was eradicated and you were raised on a different planet and everyone was purple. You didn't experience racism. That would mean mm-hmm. that you would still be carrying the trauma of your ancestors. 
that I would still even be. Though you would still be. If it was right. genetic, if it was right. genetic, no matter where you were, no matter, you know. But how do we know that? Because we don't have the privilege of living in a world where racism does not exist. Right. Right. And so it's largely shaped by our environment. I personally, this is the cis side of me, I personally think there is a combination of both. I personally think because we've only lived in a society for the last 400 years where racism was very present, that, you know, one thing that's consistent is the environment, the different levels of, you know, Mm. um, trauma due to racism may have changed over time, but there's not a black person on this planet who wakes up and don't, and and has the privilege of not thinking about being black. Mm-hmm. whether it's indirectly or directly. And I say right. that because, of course, people, there are places where you don't have, you where there is only Black people, but at the same time, they experience the effects of capitalism, which is connected to racism. Anyway, mm-hmm. point is, is how do we measure the difference? You know, how do, we, how do we measure this? How do we say this is the environmental part, this is the genetic part? And I think that is the more complicated thing. I do think it's very mm-hmm. much so a real thing. You know, I do think that one of the things that's very understudied in our discipline of genetics is the environment and more specifically the culture, right? Mm. So I strongly believe this resilience thing that we talk about, you know, our our ancestors' ability to withstand slavery for these hundreds of thousands of years or not thousands of years, but hundreds of years. And we still are, you know, beautiful black people who smile more than we frown I think a lot of that is actually connected to our spirituality. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that is an environmental, um, cultural, a cultural thing. And that right. is very much so passed down. So we talk about genetics, right. you know, this gene, this gene is passed down. But let's also talk about how culture is passed down. We recently mm-hmm. did an episode on the genetics of rhythm. And I listened to that. <laughs> <laughs> in that episode, episode, you know, we were we were so convinced, you know, like, I mean, there there has to be some type of genetics, you know, that explains this. And in fact, majority of it is cultural. So I think wow. a big part of this question is, you know, so basically we can teach people to dance. Right. I mean, assuming there are some extreme cases mm-hmm. where, you know, your ability to hear your ability to respond to what you hear is likely that part is Mm -hmm. genetic, you know, very similar to like how, you know, those drastic shock, you know, that shock that they're doing to the mice, you know, those things that you're, you're picking up there, you can probably explain by genetics, but these are extreme cases versus like everyone else. And so, um, I, I think this trauma is very much so passed down culturally and genetically, but we don't Mm. understand the genetics yet. And most importantly, we don't understand, well, what is the, what is the trade-off? How much of it is cultural? How much of it is genetic? And so I do think that, um, Mm. you know, we have a long way to go in understanding that, but I, I, the cultural one is just so obvious to me. Um, One of the biggest is language. I'm from New Orleans. I don't have a New Orleans accent, you know, but the reason why I don't have Mm. a New Orleans accent is because my family culturally knew that if I could whitewash my dialect, that it could be um, it could be a, a tool for survival, to be quite frank. Um, right. Us assimilating to whiteness is our tool for survival. And that is a very cultural thing that's passed down. Another good example mm-hmm. is our our ability to engage with the healthcare system. 
You know, I take care of a lot mm-hmm. of my elders here in New Orleans and getting them to take medication is is a very hard thing. And I don't, I, I'm very sympathetic to that because I understand yeah. that their ancestors and their ancestors and their ancestors, they took medication and developed diseases because scientists were using them for clinical trials without their consent and without giving them the proper yeah. education of what this is. So right. I understand it. This is, this is kind of what I'm saying, like the cultural things that are passed down or, you know, I don't know, you know, <laughs> there are a lot of memes and stuff on Instagram and Twitter to talk about like certain things we do in the household. Like, why do we keep, you know, grocery bags under the sink? Why is that, you know, just mm-hmm. things. And it's very trivial, but these are cultural things that are passed down right. that we as geneticists are not including in our studies. And they're mm-hmm. very important. Mm-hmm. And this is it's a reason why you need black people designing experiments or or really everyone, you know, representing the diaspora designing experiments because then you know what questions to ask, you know what things to look for, um, you know, and trying to understand, well, what is the cultural piece? You know, right. anthropologists think they know how how we made it to America. If you ask indigenous Americans, there's those stories are different. You know, what is the oral mm-hmm. history that's being passed down? And so that's the thing right. that's most understudied in genetics. People are not mm. um, incorporating this cultural oral history. You know, the things that we don't describe as scientific, but are very much so scientific as well in trying to understand this right. question. And so I think I think that there is some truth to this, but I think it's a combination of our environment. I think it's a combination of our, you know, our epigenetic signatures um, and also, you know, thinking about how all these things interact with each other and the, and the cultural things that we pass down to our descendants. Mm. So in short, it, it, it can be passed. Hey, bays, we interrupt this program to let you all know about a very important podcast that is dropping January 30th that I think you all will love. It is for black women and for those who love us. We flesh. And in this here space, black women be. This limited six-part series is hosted by Lisa Anderson of the Sojourner Truth Leadership Circle and artist Amakayla Gaston. And they explore the fullness of black women's humanities with topics ranging from creation to managing a major business. We Flesh includes amazing interviews such as former Black Panther Party leader Erica Huggins to business leader and coach Susan Callender. New episodes are released every single Monday, so subscribe to We Flesh in whatever place you get your podcast. Now back to the show. It's down, but it may not just be the genetic aspect that is being passed down, but it's also also the cultural aspect that's being passed down. It's also our environment and what we're experiencing every day that maybe our parents or grandparents are teaching us and how to survive this kind of our particular world or our experiences um, socially. That's really interesting. <laughs> so interesting. I was going to ask next, next, you know, like kind of how your blackness influences your research. But I think in so many ways, you you kind of said that because, um, you know, you're talking about things that are understudied um, in the genetics realm and things like, uh, like culture or oral history, which we know is super prevalent in black culture and other cultures, but pr- super prevalent in black culture. But also how do you name that how do you categorize that how do you um yeah how, yeah just how do you compile how do you measure that? it how do you measure yeah. it yeah. yeah yeah 
Hmm. That's super interesting. And I mean, and, and folks haven't even started to begin um, bringing in that spiritual aspect that's passed down. And that. Right? <laughs> that's and that. not even, that's not even right. talked about. But I mean, can you imagine the traumatic experience of, you know, tr- your spirituality kind of being washed away or taken from you? Um, you yeah. know, I think if 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 people were if we were to ever to do this study, I encourage us to look at populations, um, descendants of slaves that where these populations were a little bit more isolated than perhaps you and I, and, mm-hmm. and some good examples mm-hmm. of that are um, Haitians, uh, where right. a lot of the spiritual practice it it is a combination of uh, Catholicism and um, Voodoo, but you know. That ancestry, not the, uh, indigenous African spirituality, is not completely lost, you know. Right. And I and I personally believe that 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 part is probably going to be a big part of this resilience being passed down, right? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so I mean, looking at the Gar- the Garifuna population is another good example. Sorry, and. Um, out in Colombia, the Palenque population. So these are some some mm-hmm. isolate populations that were just like, you know what? Y'all are trying to enslave us, but no, fuck that. Um, we're going to go do our own thing up the street and keep our, you know, keep our spirituality um, in with us. That makes me think that I would be so interested in a study of folks who are mediums or who maybe identify have some type of spiritual capacity um, that's not understood, but also that they descend from people who have that spiritual capacity. Cause I know a lot of people reach out to me and I'm one of them who, you know, is a spiritualist and is a psychic. Um, but no one in my family was ever an, an open psychic or spiritualist. However, once I've been in this work, you know, my grandmother was like, Oh yeah, my mother used to do that. Like you just don't tell nobody, but that's, you got that from her. And this is like, Oh, Okay. So it's like, what, what makes, where did that come from? Because that wasn't anything that was taught to me or told to me or even promoted or <laughs> praised at all. Um, but to know that I, def- yeah, I was, I was just saying, and that's something that geneticists had even, even asked the question, right? Like, right. <laughs> and I think that, the, and I, and I very much so believe in that too. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, I saw something on your website that I think was on your website or maybe it was in the description of the, in those genes, but it said genetics is a manifestation of the Sankofa principle uh, to go back and mm-hmm. get it. And I just love that. <laughs> so can you just, can you just speak to that? Cause when I read that, I was like, Ooh, that is so good. Yes. Um, so it, it, we, uh, we call it scientific Sankofa. Uh, and this mm. is the name of our, our first episode in season one. And this is really saying that the Sankofa principle is a genetic principle, right? Um, having the opportunity to go back and fetch um, your ancestors through a medium, and this medium being your DNA, is yeah. very much so the basis of the Sankofa principle, right? When we are trying to understand our connection to our ancestors and... Um, our connection to our ancestors to help us better understand ourselves and where we're going, that Mm -hmm. lies within our genome. And particularly for descendants of slaves, because there is no, there is, there is very limited information. In fact, I would argue that probably the most accurate information is the information in your genome. And Mm -hmm. so, 
you know, we are now getting more access to African burial grounds that, you know, people yeah. have built shit over. And <laughs> we're trying to get immigrants. There's a lot of amazing black people doing that work to, you know, be able to get us some um, some information there. Also trying to, mm. you know, under understand the little bit of records, written records that we do have, you know, trying to get that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I think, you know, that Sankofa principle and, it, you know, I would love to understand spirituality and, and genomics and the connection there for sure. And I think in order to answer that question, um, we have to bring in the neuroscientists too, right? Because a lot of this is connected to our, our psychology mm-hmm. and our psychosis. So this is just a random little question that I'm, I was thinking about. And so in one of my belief systems, we have this idea that when you do healing work, um, you're able to heal seven generations forward and seven generations backward. And I'm curious on your thoughts on that as a geneticist, if there's any. Yeah, just curious of your thoughts on that, because that's something that we say a lot. Yeah, I mean... This, I mean, you really are making me want to understand a lot of like spirituality, psychology and genetics and trying to understand what that, you know, what this is. I definitely am there for like completely 100 percent agree with the seven generations forward for sure. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I, I don't see seven generations of my descendants, you know. Um, dealing or, or, or having to heal with the things that I've had to heal with. I believe yeah. our ancestors healed so that we can be here today. So they were doing that yeah. healing work and, and we are mm-hmm. a product of that. Um, mm-hmm. I I do believe that the ways in which we can see the healing work of our ancestors through the healing work that we are doing is through our connection to them through spiritual practice. Um Scientifically, I, I wouldn't, you know, I yeah. wouldn't be able to understand uh, how we can measure that from the past. But I definitely think that there right. is a huge opportunity to measure right. that going forward and seeing, you know, as we are. And this goes back to this is why these these disciplines need to be connected. But, you know, I tell people all the time, uh, humans been, you know, and one of the beautiful, most beautiful things about indigenous um, African spirituality and, and a lot of indigenous religions within Africa, a lot of them, you know, they weren't documented, right? Yeah. And they weren't, you know, written text. That mm-hmm. does not mean that they are not real. Yeah. They're very much so real. Yeah. You know, while we can't understand and have that data, we don't need that data mm. to form a belief system or to answer mm-hmm. questions or to say that we're healing yes. these people. And this is this is where um, what we train people as scientists and what, you know, what science actually is has to change. This is where my blackness kind of intersects yeah. and says, hey, yeah, just because, you know, we don't have the data does not mean it's yeah. not real. Um, what it means is that we we don't have data to prove it in this very tangible yes. way that we have been trained to say is real, but it does not mean that it is not real. Mm-hmm. And so in that regard, yes and no. I believe that, you know, I believe in that. I do believe that you we are healing um, seven generations mm-hmm. in the past and, and that helps heal us to heal the seven generations going forward. But to go into right. more, you know, science at, as it is described and shaped today, you know, going seven generations ahead, you know, I think is something that we are and will do. 
Um, and we will be able to answer that question, I think. I think mm -hmm. the structures that would prevent us from understanding that are the same structures that are holding us back now, right? So we think about, let's say we have the answer to this question. Let's say we do um, all this research and we understand the epigenetics of trauma and we now are able to um, develop a, a healing practice to help heal us from that trauma mm -hmm. and furthermore to prevent that trauma from going to uh, generations um, going forward. And if it is a lot of a, genetics, a genetic component, we have research tools like CRISPR, which is gene editing, CRISPR-Cas9 approach, which is a gene editing tool that maybe we can start to edit parts of the genome that we don't want passed on to mm -hmm. our descendants, right? Oh, wow. Um, you know, like if we were to able to do that research and to, and to get that conclusion, that would, you know, that would be a viable, mm -hmm. you know, solution. Whenever we talk about gene editing and that kind of thing, though, it's such a powerful tool. Mm -hmm. I think it has a lot of promise. We see it today and the, the work that it does with sickle mm -hmm. cells. So we know that, you know, it does work. Um, but who has access to right. it, you know? And um, think about how this world that is run by capitalism that, you know, then informs racism and sexism. How does this world function if we are able to do without the mental parts that kind of keep people in this mm. oppressed state? Yeah, <laughs> Do you think that, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking about, you know, and we're, we're kind of, you know, go, venturing off here, but just right. thinking the politics of it, do we think white people are really about to let us heal from the trauma that kind of helps keep them at the top? Right. Or are there going to be systemic practices in place to prevent that? To prevent that. Absolutely. I mean, they're, al they're already there <laughs> to preventing it actively. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm, that's so interesting, though, but I never I mean, I don't know why I would have ever heard of that. But this this idea of gene editing is like, woo, wow. It's a wow, wow, West. Gene editing is it, it is so cool. And I love what I think it, what I think it does for health and yes. medicine. Oh, my God. But it, it, it scares the shit yes. out of me when I think about how it is going to be policed and practiced. Ooh. I mean, it, we could just, I mean, we know that people don't have access to medical care. You know, imagine what the world looks like when, you know, gene editing becomes more routine practice. Wow. Wow. Thank you for um, bringing that up. I'm going to do some research on that. Um, so we're almost at time, but I do have another question that I want to ask you before we close out. And it's, uh, taking a little bit of a term, but you had such a great episode about um, ancestry and like ancestry tests. And it's something that I've talked about a bit on the show, just because some people are like, I want to know where I'm from. I want to connect to the spiritual traditions of my ancestors, but I don't know where it was from. So how do you feel about, you know, me taking the ancestry test? And I kind of, I'm just like, you know, it's up to you. Like it's up to you if that's something that you feel called to do. I've taken ancestry an ancestry test before. Um, I also noticed that it just changed the other day <laughs> and where I'm uh, from. So I'm just curious of, you know, your own thoughts about the information that we can gain from those kinds of tests and sort of how that could contribute to ancestral work or or maybe not. And then the second part of that question is, 
are they you've talked about this before in your show like what what's happening with our dna after that like what are some things that are happening because i know that that is a worry for a valid worry for a lot of people like okay so what they doing with my with my dna um here's my thing i that is my biggest worry one thing that i want people to take away is that um no genetic test today out is going to say, Janina, this is 100% of who you are. Or Juju, this mm-hmm. is 100% of who you are. No test on the market has the power to do that accurately, 100%. Right. Um, when you see results in your ancestry changing over time from these different companies, that means that they're getting more data and they're learning and the data is getting better. So mm. the results are getting better. But if you are a person who relies on, you're relying on your identity or your spiritual practice from this test to kind of shape it, it is a very unreliable thing to rely on because again, mm. it's not 100% accurate. We're working to make it better. Um, but these are kind of like estimates, guesstimates. And if you are an African descendant of, of slaves, particularly living in the American and the Caribbean, more than likely you are from several parts of the continent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're just all this admixed, you know, cosmopolitan. And so I encourage people, you know, also, you know, you talk about this a lot in your show, just like exploring multiple spiritual yeah. practices and understanding yeah. them all. And so I think one of the things we have to do is kind of detach ourselves. When I was telling you earlier about like, oh, well, science says this and science says we have to have measurements and numbers. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people believe religion has to have written text. Mm-hmm. We have to unlearn these, these you know, arbitrary rules that yes. we've created. I don't need to know that I'm 100% um Nigerian Yoruba like there's no way to know that Um, but also that answer should not be the only basis to shape my identity my identity has already been formed my ancestors did all the work right for me to have the identity that I have with or without a genetic test Uh, my grandfather very pan-Africanist visited Africa every year from the late 80s into the early 2000s and there was no genetic test. He chose Ghana, he went to Ghana, he connected with those people and that is that was what he that is what he identified with. And me as a genetic geneticist, how would I who would I be to say, well actually your DNA says that, you know, you don't have any people from Ghana. Mm. In fact, maybe your people from Ghana is only 5%. So why are you doing it? No. Um, I don't want us to become reliant on yes. genetic tests to form uh, these these cultural identities. Now, do they inform them? For sure. And are they... They're not 100% inaccurate, right? They're, they're more accurate than they are inaccurate, for sure. But... I think of their, I think of them as an opportunity to understand them. So your your results changed. Uh, I'll be curious to hear how they changed. But maybe there's a new um, population that popped up in your results that you hadn't heard right. about. Maybe you go and you do the research on um, the indigenous spiritual practice of those people and realize that you know, wow this is something that I've been doing for a while and I didn't realize that this was something that my ancestors were Mm -hmm. also doing. But it's a part of it, right? So my whole thing is, let's use these tests to learn as much as we can about as many places as our ancestors are from as we can than to use the test to identify with just one group. If we think about anthropology, 
when slavery was happening, what we call Nigeria and Ghana was not yep. even Nigeria and Ghana, right? Yep. So, <laughs> you know, we have to do a lot of education work to kind of understand wh- what are we trying to get out of it. So I, yeah. I, I think that there are some powerful things we can gain from it, but I just want to make sure that we don't, you know, try to attach our identity to only this because our identity is so much more mm-hmm. and our ancestors did so much work to make sure of that. Mm-hmm. The other, um, I do think though, uh, understand having these tests help connect us very similar how social media and the internet have connected us more i mean it has done a million things for black people to be able to connect on a global level and be able to unite on a front and get information like that so i do think these tests do provide a way for us to connect with people who we share dna with now if you want to call them a relative or not again that's Mm. a that's a variable scientific term um but i do think it brings us closer, right? I do believe that it allows us to form a connection. And if we're talking about Black people, one thing we know how to do very well is to build a community. And so I love that these tests are building communities, Mm. right? They have been the catalyst of building communities of people who were otherwise be disconnected from each other. And so I think that is a very beautiful thing in in redefining uh, what we consider to be as family. There was a second part to your question too. Sorry. It was it was more so of the concerns that people have around um DNA testing and sort of what happens with that data outside of telling me where I could potentially be from. Yes. Um this is something that I'm very passionate about mm-hmm. because even when we were talking about the trauma and seven generations uh, I would love to collect that data. At the same time, data is the biggest currency. My biggest thing about the collection of data, and this is not just from science, this is from Facebook and Instagram and all of this, is I don't understand why, well, I do understand why it's not happening because of capitalism and racism. But ideally, if I share my data, I should be getting a benefit from it. And the most disheartening thing when it comes to research is that White people are always like, oh, I'll sign up for this study and I'll sign up for that study. Well, they also live in a world where the results of that study is something that they're going to have access to. We don't. I'm giving you data and you're going to make a drug Mm. that I can't even afford. You know, Um, Mm. I'm giving you data and you're going to make a drug that will never see the continent of Africa. And so... My whole thing, I have nothing. I I think it's a beautiful thing for us to donate our data to science to promote a healthier life for generations to come that we may never meet. I think that is the most powerful thing. And I tell my elders that all the time. If that's something you want, a legacy you can live behind, you can leave behind. That is an amazing legacy to be able to leave behind. Um, But, You know, we have to make sure that the data is in the right hands and we have to make sure that we are going to benefit from the use of data. I have so many scientists who come to me and say, well, I, um, you know, I really want black people to be more involved in this research study or that research study. And I ask, well, what is the benefit? You know, white people, they get the $20 gift card and that's great. That to the benefit value to them is they understand it because they actually will receive the benefit and we don't. And so we need to develop a equally beneficial model system where Mm -hmm. if you guys want to, you know, there's companies now who go straight to the continent to connect genetic, to collect genetic data. 
in countries where they don't even have refrigerators and freezers to store vaccines. You know, mm. that doesn't make sense to me. That that, right. that that doesn't make sense to me. And right. if we are going to be using data, um, people should have access to to decent health care at the very least, not let alone access to whatever is the product of the use of that data. And I feel very passionate about that. And I think that that's something that, that absolutely has to change. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This was so great. <laughs> just I honestly could just talk <laughs> for so much longer because I learned so much. You gave me so much uh, insight. And I also just feel really empowered um, regarding your response around like the ancestry test. I guess it it, it does help and can help create community. Um, and also we can still find identity regardless of if we're able to pinpoint it to a specific place on a continent that we may have never even seen before. But like, I also know that like, I'm African-American, like I'm from Baltimore. Like <laughs> that is where I found home. That is where I found connection um, and family. And and that also can be enough as well. Like just being mm-hmm. from here, from being from the East Coast, connecting with people like that. So um, thank you so, so much. Please tell us how we can connect with you, how we can engage with your work, where we can stream the podcast. Just just tell the community. Yes. Um, you can follow me at DJ Squared. I am not a DJ. Um, that just stands for Dr. Janina Jeff. <laughs> um, you could also follow the podcast, which I highly encourage you to do at In Those Jeans Pod. We are currently off season, but you can listen to seasons one and two anywhere you listen to your podcast. We are coming back for season three. Ooh. We just got a grant from the Greater Good Science, um, which is going to help fund season three. And we also are going to have an episode in season three um, that we go into the epigenetics of trauma and joy. And so stay tuned mm-hmm. for that coming in, you know, hopefully the next year. So <laughs> we shall see. But um, you can follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at In Those Jeans Pod. We also, from time to time, will release Twitter threads around important science news stories that we think, um, you know, our community needs to hear. And so you can follow us for those resources. Um, specifically, we've been doing coverage on um, COVID-19 and, and we may also do some coverage mm-hmm. on monkeypox. <laughs> but yeah, so please feel free to, to yeah. hit us up that way. You can also go on our website at inthosegenes.com and we will be selling some merch soon. So I'll have to get you guys addresses. So I can send you some of our mock-up Ooh. shirts, um, but we'll, we will be selling some merch soon yeah. too. Yes, we would love that. Thank you so much, Dr. J, for being on the show. You've been so, so amazing. Also, let me tell my listeners, it's in those jeans, like G-E-N-E-S. I know y'all are smart, but I just want to make sure y'all was, I know y'all jumped to genuine, but make sure you type in in those G-E-N-E-S to find the show. Thank you so much, Dr. J. Thank you so much. I'm so flattered and honored to be here. I can't wait to go back and tell the team that I was on Juju's podcast. You'll be like, what? Because <laughs> we're all big fans. I think you know Sam, oh. who works yes, on our I show. Yes, I love Sam. And Ethan, yes. who works on our show. So all big fans. Yes. Thank you. Our producers are Kenya Denise and Alexandra De Palma. A Little Juju is produced by Domino Sound. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is.
is all you need All you need is a little juju All you need is a little juju All you need is a little juju A little juju, a little juju A little juju is the way It's how I start my day Can't firm, no say Can't firm.